Hi there, I'm Maud Garrett, Australian-born, LA-based, self-proclaimed sci-fi tech and book geek. Welcome to The Millions Podcast, brought to you by Harrison AI, the cutting-edge medtech company that's on a mission to urgently scale global healthcare capacity using AI automation to elevate the care clinicians can provide. Over the course of the series, we're going to be hearing from leading engineers, data scientists, and innovators at some of the world's most iconic technology companies, the people using AI in truly game-changing ways. And we have a really special episode to kick us off. Everyone's gone absolutely wild about the incredible image and copy generation tools now available, but they're also bringing to light some important watchouts and sparking major ethical debates. Listen to this. I was very surprised to discover that, you know, when I was using this tool, I made a picture of myself as a stunning wizard. It changed my ethnicity. It changed the color of my skin and it changed the color of my eyes and made me Caucasian. Scary, huh? That was Bartik Joshi, Principal Research Engineer in Graphics and Machine Learning at Canva. In this episode, he talks to our host, the renowned futurist, inventor, author, educator, and broadcaster, Mark Pesci. It's a conversation that's equal parts mind-blowing, inspiring, and sobering. Okay, I'll hand over to Mark and Bartik for now. Enjoy the episode. Bartik, welcome to Millions. Thank you for having me. Tell me about Canva. Um, look, Canva is uh, an online application. So you access it in your web browser and it's meant to democratize design. And it sounds like a bit of a cheesy corporate throwaway line, but it really is. Um, you know, it, it, the, the the idea behind the tool is that people can come to it and they're able to express themselves creatively. And uh, we provide tools so that they're able to do it in a really accessible way, right? We want to make, uh, we basically want to be able to empower anyone to design. And obviously this has been... Supercharged quite recently by all the new developments in ML. So you're now doing that at scale. You have what, like sort of 120 million monthly users? Is that right? That's correct. Yes. That's <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> that's, that's almost five Australias we're talking about yes. there. Canva has now gone kind of all in, not just on this usability, but on now tying AI into that. I mean, even ahead of now. Microsoft and Adobe, who were sort of announcing things in the wake of Canva announcing things. What are you seeing about how you're being challenged by things that are changing so rapidly, trying to integrate them into creative tools? Uh, look, frankly, it's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> the, the look and you know one one of the hats that I wear is as a research scientist and this requires staying up with the literature and uh, right now this involves staying up late with the literature right? every spend, night I spend most of my nights are uh, uh, reading papers reading what's new um, you know oddly enough listening to a lot of podcasts hearing what people have to say about it I think it, it's it's possible to get just completely bamboozled by all of this, um, even if it's just on the research side. There's just so much happening right now. And I think that's, you know, to a certain degree, it feels like this generative AI revolution is something that's new, but it's not. It's been really been on the boil at this point for about four or five years, right? So to a certain degree, the comfort that I have is because I kind of already knew it was coming. <laughs> so let's talk about the specifics. What are you offering at Canva? What what dials have you turned on for people to be able to have a play with these things? 
Absolutely. We've had a text-to-image tool, we've, which we've been working on for about six months now, um, which we actually launched. We did a small launch of uh, way back in uh, September, and that's been plugging along. Uh, but we ha also have a number of tools that are around writing. So, for example, we have Magic Write, and Magic Write uh, allows you to uh, really sort of play with the computer to generate text and modify text, right? So if you have a piece of writing, you can you, you have an idea and you ask it to sort of expand out on that idea, start with a sentence and give you a couple of, I guess, further sort of like creative iterations on it. How do you gently let the 125 million users know that these are lovely tools, but they can be tricksy? We're just very upfront about it, right? And I think, you know, I, and again, I think just having that very explicit relationship saying, you know, this is, I mean, I, I, I'm very cautious about anthropomorphizing these tools. They're not a person, but to a certain degree, it is a little bit like working with a creative partner. So does that mean that the, these tools are going to be establishing new creative workflows for people versus how they might have attacked a presentation before or even the design of a poster or whatever? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, right? I think one of the things that we've heard quite a lot and, you know, not, not just at Canva but just in the industry in general mm -hmm. is that it's made creative expression more accessible mm -hmm. and it's leveled the playing field a little bit, right? So, you know, people who have, for example, like English as a second language, they can, they can take a piece of expression that they have that is, you know, perhaps not completely finished. They don't quite have the words for and then they could use the tools to effectively, I guess, make it past the test as far as, as far as expression goes, right? I, I mean, like, you know, the code term that we use is refactoring, right? So it refactors, yep. the, it refactors the... Into standard uh, the English or whatever. That's right. And yeah. it, you know, it becomes more accessible. It does feel like this is very much of the moment. Like, yes, the tools are exciting and magical and they're helping us be creative and we still need to sort of keep, a, keep our eye on them because <laughs> you just did a little series for YouTube called Feature Vector. Right? Yes. And, and episode one, which I want everyone to just go off and listen to it when we're done with this because it's really good. You explore some biases in an image creation pro, uh, program that you were using. Could you, yes. could you tell us a little bit about what happened? Sure, that was fascinating. So uh, this was an experiment I ran on my own because I was curious. I thought, okay, so this, these tools had just dropped. And uh, at the time, there was a little bit of a thing around generating avatars, right? So you, there were these services where you feeded a couple of pictures of yourself it would, and then you were able to generate images of yourself in the style of X, right? Yeah. So as a painting, but also rendered as another kind of person. So I thought, okay, what would it take to sort of build this myself? So we had this set of images of myself and we did this thing called a textual inversion, which is a type of like specialization. And I trained it on my face. And I started cranking out pictures of myself and I generated a, I made a picture of myself as a stunning wizard. It changed my ethnicity. Um, and uh, so it made, you know, it, it, it changed the color of my skin and it changed the color of my eyes and made me Caucasian. And it was it's something that was easily reproducible. Yeah. Just again and again and again, it would do this consistently. And I thought this was quite striking and I started reading about this and there were a number of other people who had uh, found this problem 
in production, I guess, with these apps, these you know these other third parties who had made these tools to sort of like change your face, mm. and uh, you know they were running into these problems where it tended to sort of like it sometimes do fairly horrifying things, like it would undress people or it would again change their ethnicity. What can be done around that? What what levers do we have, both as engineers and I think also as consumers of these tools? So there is definitely a uh, an avenue of work that's around data set cleaning, right? That yeah. looks at sort of like, that looks at the, um, the the data that's used to train these models and is used to um, really try to clean it up, right? Um, but I think the reality is that, you know, what does FAIR look like? And that is a really good question because I don't think the answer is simple because fair to one group means unfair to another, mm. right? So how do we, I, I think, you know, from a, you know, people who make these tools kind of question, it really comes down to understanding what your policy is. Every company, every person making these tools, every group making these tools is going to be a little bit different in terms of what they think fair looks like, right? Do you go with a fairness that is, so I'll, I'll pick another example that we, we use quite a lot actually, is of CEO, right? So you go, to, and this is a fairly, at this point, a fairly famous example. So you go to pretty much any of these image generator tools, you ask it to generate a picture of a CEO and it's going to give you uh, a, a white guy, right? Yeah. And white, middle-aged white guy, yeah. Right, exactly. And then that's because of the, the, you know, the bias that's in the training data sets and it's very strong. But what does fair look like, right? So if you if we go with fairness, that is, do you go with something that then reflects the demographic reality of it in Western countries? Then the results are not going to change all that much, very likely, right? Or do you go with fairness that is more aspirational? And then that becomes a, a very sticky policy question, and that you know that's going to depend on who you are as a, like I said, a toolmaker terms of deciding what that's going to be. And does that then mean that in fact where we may be going is that when you say okay you know, whip me up a picture of a CEO, the AI then goes, I have some questions for you about what your <laughs> expectations are. I think so. I think, you know, I think that, that that's a possible mitigation, right? How can you tell when you are hitting the mark? And how can you tell when you're missing? We just ask. I mean, the, I mean, the thing about these tools is that they're tools. Yeah. And, you know, they generate results that are probabilistic. So, you know, there's a fairly standard sort of statistical approach to this. Right. And that doesn't sound like that's a one and done, right? That sounds no, like a, this is something that we're actually building into yeah. the whole cycle now. Absolutely. And it's and it's worth noting that, you know, this is a problem that we face not just as a company but as an industry, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's really nice to have a collegial group of peers within the industry that we that we talk to to sort of work on this is not, not something we try to solve on our own. From your view over the decades, how do we start to manage our own behavior, our own expectations, and our own guardrails to be able to do the research and get the results we want without blowing everything up in the process. <laughs> um, it's important to be really cognizant of what the tools are, right? And, it, and it, I think it's, in fact, just it, it's really important to be cognizant of what tools are, right? So yeah. I'm going to use an analogy uh, with cameras, right? So cameras at this point have been around something like 160 years. Yeah. And there has been this persistent belief that cameras tell the truth. <laughs> 
Um, and uh, it's 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 not very true. Um, camera, and it's literally like from a certain point of view, they tell the truth, and it's literally a certain point of view where you point the camera makes a big function in how the you know in terms of how the story is told. The the tools themselves come with biases. They come with the fact that they're not objective. That they you know that they have points of view that are baked into them. Mm. And I think it's important then to understand that these tools are not omniscient. They're not omnifunctional. They can't do everything. They can't know everything. And then when you're using the tools, just keeping that in mind. I mean, that that critical faculty is one of the things that makes us most remarkable as human beings, but it's one of the things that we are also the worst at. And whether it's this tool or the next generation of tools that are going to come after it, right? You know, we, we've been through many, many, many cycles of this and like, you know, since pretty much since the Industrial Revolution, right? Every time one of these things comes along, we need to be asking questions and looking at the result and going, okay, right, the, you know, basically what was the, how much control have I ceded to this, right? And really making sure that your voice is represented when you're using it and making sure that, you know, when you use these tools as, you know, right back at the start, I mentioned like, you know, these are meant to be sort of creative partners, they're not replacements. Bhatik, thank you so much for joining us on Millions. Thank you for having me. So there we have it, Bhatik Joshi, Principal Research Engineer in Graphics and Machine Learning at Canva. In the next episode of Millions, we'll be exploring related themes from a different perspective. Here's a little taster. For those of you listeners who are software engineers, they'll be like, versioning, been there, done that. Not so much when what you're versioning is a really, really complex data pipeline particularly not if parts of that processing pipeline are a non-trivial amount of money and time to rerun. And this is still not a solved problem. That was Kendra Vant, the Executive General Manager of Data at Xero. In episode two, Mark asks her all about how Xero is working towards an exciting future with AI integration at the forefront. Join me for that. And in the meantime, keep up to date by subscribing and following at Harrison AI on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm.